Gyrus Nation. Notre Dame comes back from a road trip to Syracuse victorious in a 41-24 beatdown of the 16th ranked Orange, moving Notre Dame's record to 5-3 on the season. Most importantly, shout out to last week's guest co-host Mike 2.0, who had a number of great predictions in this game, including predicting a Notre Dame defensive touchdown, which happened on the opening play of the game as Brandon Joseph had a pick six return for a touchdown, and accurately predicted that Audric Estime would lead the way with two rushing touchdowns, which indeed did come true, despite the recent struggles that Estime's had, uh, including some fumble problems in recent weeks. So two big uh, predictions that were correct for for Mike uh, as our guest co-host on last week's show. I am riding solo on this week's show as Mike 1.0, our usual host Mike, is still on his honeymoon in the South Pacific, enjoying some rest and relaxation um, following his wedding a week ago. Next week, I will be joined by a second guest co-host. Danny will join the show, so really excited to have another longtime listener and, and supporter of the show, uh, another Notre Dame buddy of mine who graduated in 2013, a, a year behind Mike and I, and so excited for Danny to join next week. But this week, you will get just me. Brett will fly through this show. We will recap the Syracuse game. Look ahead to a big home game matchup against Clemson. And then I will round it out by taking a deep dive on play action tendencies and productivity from some other offenses, some other college quarterbacks um, across the country. As we've often talked about, play action is something Drew Pine and our offense does well, but we just don't do a lot of it. And so comparing that um, to other teams across the country will be this week's third segment with that we'll dive into the Syracuse game you know the offense being able to rush for 246 yards defense giving up 61 yards rushing that's huge and then for the second week in a row in the third punt block you know it's it's amazing uh, what our special teams unit is doing especially that punt block unit it's been really good they worked at it and so Notre Dame comes away three score uh, margin of victory 41-24 against Syracuse despite going into this game as a slight two-and-a-half, three-point underdog, depending when you looked at the line heading into this one. Across the board, a really solid game um, against a Syracuse team that was ranked. But the narrative for Notre Dame continues to be consistent. A really quality win, dominated a solid ranked team on the road, just like we did against BYU in Las Vegas, just like we did against UNC in Chapel Hill. And yet, This isn't a data point that can be used to say that we're improving on the weaknesses of this team, improving on the things that have held this team back. Um, However, it's important to just start with really how dominant this game was, frankly, more dominant than maybe the scoreboard let on. Notre Dame had a 100% post-game win expectancy, so no doubt about it, they outplayed Syracuse. Our success rate on offense was 49% versus just 31% for Syracuse. Offenses want to be in the high 40s. So Notre Dame was right where you want to be as an above-average offense. Syracuse really held in check for most of the day by our defense. And Havoc was the other story of this game. Notre Dame's defense generated a really high Havoc rate of 21%. Again, those are disruptive plays, sacks, tackles for loss, deflected passes. Um, against just 9% for Syracuse. Defenses want to be in the high teens. So Notre Dame eclipsing that 20% threshold a really big number, Syracuse in the single digits, not so much. And despite all of that, uh, we've said this a lot this year, despite some really 
nice numbers in the advanced metrics. This was a seven-point game in the fourth quarter with Syracuse having the ball with a chance to go tie. It felt a lot like the Cal game, UNC, BYU, even UNLV to a certain extent where Notre Dame dominates in a lot of categories in a lot of the advanced metrics, but winds up with a much closer score than, than we'd like. And we'll dive into some of that on both offense and defense. Starting out with the defense in this recap, um, again, we mentioned it allowed just a 31% success rate. That's really, really low. Um, Syracuse coming into this game was actually a top 10 team nationally on offense with a 52% success rate. Um, you know, we talked in the preview how this offense stays on schedule really well. They might not be the most explosive team in the world, but quarterback Garrett Trader and running back Sean Tucker really keep this team on schedule, keeps them ahead of the chains. They churn out first downs. Notre Dame's defense coming into this game is top 35 in success rate allowed at 39%, so really good. This was our third best game by success rate for this defense on the entire year, um, just behind Cal at 30% and UNLV at 27%. So third best game on the year, and almost without a doubt, Syracuse is a much better offense than Cal and UNLV. So adjusting for quality of opponent, adjusting for the fact that you're on the road playing a noon game, um, really happy that Notre Dame's defense really just did not let Syracuse get going with any amount of consistency in this game, as as you can see in the success rate. And then Havoc mentioned it in the intro, 21%. Um, finally, that includes some disruption from the secondary. The highlight of the game, really the Brandon Joseph pick six on the first play of the game to get things going. Notre Dame generated five sacks in this game. Uh, we're now top 20 in the country in sacks per game. It's two more for Isaiah Foskey. Sacks can be a misleading stat. You know, there's a lot of guys that can generate a lot of pressure and for whatever reason don't get home or, you know, I think sometimes in Foskey's career probably has gotten more sacks than his pressures would suggest he maybe should get. But at the end of the day, he gets home and he he gets those sacks. He's now just one away from Justin Tuck's all-time career sack record at Notre Dame. Really, if you think about passing Justin Tuck in any statistical category, a huge deal for Foskey to chase down. He's up to eight on the season. It felt like he started off a little slow this year, but he's now got five sacks in the last two games. Um, so after a slow start, he's really starting to churn up, being a disruptive player for this Notre Dame front seven. The All-American we, we were expecting at the start of the year is really starting to, to show. And more than just Isaiah Foskey, the defensive line, really the front seven, had 11 quarterback pressures in this game. So about 25% of the time, the Syracuse Orange QBs, um, either the starter Schrader or uh, Del Rio Wilson, uh, who came in in relief um, for an injured Garrett Schrader, they were just under duress all day. Um, so, you know, a, a good number is in the 20s. You know, I think offenses probably want to see pressures around 10%, 10, 15%. So one in four dropbacks being under pressure, a really good number. Um highlights the the havoc that we were just able to get all day so not not only do we keep them off schedule we, we were also disruptive with negative plays that's a really good combination for any defense Foskey and Joseph looking at some individual performances clearly had the big days Foskey with the two sacks Joseph with the pick six and outside of that pro football focus wasn't too kind on Notre Dame's defense we've mentioned this now several times this year of just pro football focus grades Maybe not always making sense, not always adding up. And so in a few weeks, we're actually 
working on a segment where kind of the third segment of a show will spend on pro football focus grades and how you got to sometimes take them with a grain of salt, sometimes realize what's qualitative versus quantitative about them. Um, we really like some of their advanced metrics like, um, you know, targets and receptions for the secondary when they're the primary defender in coverage or pressure rates for defensive lines or missed tackling rates or on offense, the direction of the run or play action stats. Those are quantitative stats. They're pretty black and white. The grades more subjective. And this is a great example of that. So, um, you know, a game where Notre Dame only had two players grade out in the seventies in, in Fosky and Joseph for starters or kind of heavy snap rotational players on defense, despite all those other dominating stats we talked about. Three in specific, just the highlight of places where I think pro football focus doesn't always get it right. Cam Hart, DJ Brown, and Xavier Watts all graded out in the 50s, which is basically a replacement level grade. So pro football focus is saying in this game, you would have been better off taking an average bench player in college football than you would have been taking Cam Hart DJ Brown and Xavier Watts. That's a pretty hot take when you then look at some of the numbers. So Cam Hart was targeted just three times, despite being our number one corner going up against Syracuse, number one receiver. And on those three targets, he gave up just one catch. Um, DJ Brown was targeted just once and didn't allow a catch. And Xavier Watts was targeted just once and also didn't allow a catch. So you've got three guys in the secondary DJ Brown and Xavier Watts played about half the snaps. Cam Hart played pretty much every snap. And collectively, they're out there, you know, for the majority of this game, and they're targeted five times for just one catch. If that's not getting a good grade, then I don't know what is out of a out of a secondary, out of you know, a nickel corner, uh, outside corner, and a safety. Those are all really good days at the office for for those individual players, and and just not showing up in pro football focus grades. So. We talk about pro football focus a lot. We try to focus more on their stats than their grades. This game is an example of that where I thought top to bottom, the defense played really, really well. The stats back that up. Um, havoc rate, success rate, some of these, you know, coverage stats on, um, on, on targets versus receptions in the secondary. Tackling. Only four missed tackles in this game. That's a missed tackle rate of about 10%. Notre Dame has actually now moved up to third in the country with the best missed or the lowest missed tackling rate of right around 8%. So this continues a really good trend of Notre Dame's defense really across the board, wrapping up, um, making tackles, not not letting guys get loose in the open field. Um, so a really good day on that metric as well. Um, all of that being said, all the positives on this defense, you know, they gave up 286 yards over the course of the season. If you give up 286 yards a game, that would be top 10 in the country. Um, over the course of a season, that 31% success rate would be top five in the country. So if you're that dominant in something like success rate, an advanced stat we look at, or yards, you know, a much easier stat to understand, how are you still giving up 24 points? And there's two things. It's red zone defense and it's chunk plays. Uh, last week, we covered a segment um, on some of these advanced metrics and, and how they all correlate. And one of them we talked about moving away from is some of the limitations in the explosiveness metric that we talk about. So we're going to switch to just tracking chunk plays. So how many plays does an offense get over 10 yards or over 20 yards? In this game, Notre Dame's defense allowed 12 plays over 10 yards and four plays over 20 yards. That's actually not 
bad. It's not good. It's not bad either. Teams average about 13 plays over 10 yards in a game and about four plays over 20 yards in a game. So that was actually pretty average in terms of chunk plays that Notre Dame gave up. Um, but that's very average when everything else in the game was dominant. And then what that's led to is letting offenses get into the red zone where Notre Dame's defense continues to struggle. So Notre Dame, I believe, is now second worst in the country on defense in red zone touchdown percentage. Syracuse in this game had three more trips to the red zone. All three resulted in touchdowns. And so what we're seeing is a defense that kind of has a yellow flag in giving up chunky plays and a red flag in when a team gets to the red zone, we give up seven points quite consistently. And that's the difference now between seeing kind of a top 30-ish defense, SP Plus has this as the 28th most efficient defense, versus top 10 or 15. We're doing a great job keeping teams off schedule. We're doing a great job generating havoc. I know a lot of people wish we were generating more turnovers, but frankly, when you go out and get a sack, um, when you go out and disrupt and break up a pass, they kind of result in the same thing, and that, that, that's a punt, right? And so we're doing a great job play in and play out. Big time struggles in the red zone mixed in with some, you know, just chunk play lapses really just leads to an Achilles heel where it's just a consistent theme. You look up at the scoreboard and the other team scored 20 points and you're thinking how our defense has been controlling this game, but we should feel good about that. Red zone defense typically will regress to the mean over time. It's a limited sample size. A couple plays here and there can really change that. Um, still some opportunity to clean up on these chunk plays. And if we do, this team play in and play out plays like a top 10, top 15 defense um, on, on really much harder metrics to change, like yards per play, success, havoc. Like, like those are hard to change, play in and play out. Red zone, the chunk plays, if we shore those up, uh, this defense continues to perform at a really high level. Saw that again this week against Syracuse. On offense... <laughs> It continues to also be a very similar theme. We, we were tweeting during this game that it looked like Tommy Reese uh, might know that he's not coming back next year for, for Notre Dame, and so he's secretly interviewing for the offensive coordinator job at, at Navy. Uh, it was clear from the outset that Notre Dame was going to run the ball, and running the ball is the only thing we were going to do. In fact, if you take the fourth quarter against UNLV and the first quarter against Syracuse, there were 48 offensive plays where we ran the ball 45 times um, on 45 of 48 plays across two quarters. Um, we basically said the pass game will not exist for this offense anymore. And to be perfectly clear for all of the harping we've done on Tom Reese, and I've got some criticisms coming in this segment, it worked and it worked really well. And I thought very early on, um, Mike and Mike and myself were on a text thread and we all agreed it was a good strategy to, to beat Syracuse. Syracuse is really good in pass defense. They generate a lot of havoc from their front seven in pass defense. And the one area where they've been susceptible is their defensive line can get moved around. And so that's what we did. We went and moved them around. We ran the ball 56 times for nearly 250 yards. It ate up clock. And very importantly, it kept us on schedule. We had a very high success rate in this game of 49%. Again, over the course of the season, that would be a top 25 number. So um, staying at that 49% success rate. That was actually our third highest on the year um, behind the UNC and UNLV games. And this was a very good Syracuse defense, um, a top 30 defense, you know, by far 
a tougher defense than UNC or UNLV. Arguably the second best defense we've played all year outside of um, Ohio State and maybe Marshall. Obviously Clemson coming up will be another tough matchup. So for a team that is a really good defense, us controlling the line of scrimmage, running the ball for 250 yards, it made sense in this game. But, um, and, and the most important spoken words always come after the word but. There, there's two buts here. Um, our run game wasn't nearly as good as 246 rushing yards would suggest. And second of all, it makes me really nervous, really no confidence that we found a sustainable recipe on offense, especially with Clemson looming. Um, you're just not going to be able to go in and run the ball 56 times against Clemson's front seven and expect to have these results. Um, frankly, against a lot of teams, it's probably not the most sustainable way, but especially against elite competition like Ohio State earlier in the year, like Clemson coming up next week, um, like we've seen in the past against Georgia and Bama. Like you just need a balanced modern college football offense against those top teams. And that makes me really nervous going into next week. But on the first point, so 246 rushing yards, at face value, that suggests you're dominating this game and that that's a really good rushing performance. But that was only 4.3 yards per carry, which is dead average for college football, like across all of college football, every single run play by every single running team or every single team averages 4.3 yards per carry. Um, I get it. There are a couple tight end sneaks. I get it. Um, there was a couple kneel downs at the end of the game, but also keep in mind in college football, um, sacks count against rushing yards. So usually sacks are the biggest thing that will adjust down yards per carry. And in this game, Pine only took one sack and it's actually only a one yard loss. So that 4.3 yards per carry, it's actually a pretty clean figure, and it's just very average. So by no means did Notre Dame have a bad running game, and it was definitely successful at staying on schedule, controlling the game. But this wasn't a dominant run performance like we maybe saw with Josh Adams or Dexter Williams behind Ronnie Stanley, Mike McClinchy, and Quentin Nelson, and some of those big-time running uh, teams that we had you know, over the last really five to ten years. That wasn't this performance. And so I think a lot of Notre Dame pundits, a lot of the media after this game, the Twitterverse, they were talking about Notre Dame wearing down Syracuse and just bullying them and then rolling over them in the second half. That's not even true. Like even in the second half, the run game actually looked a lot like it did in the first half. So the theory would go, hey, if you're churning out four yards of carry in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, by the fourth quarter, you've broken down the defense. And that's when you'll go for six, seven, eight, nine yards per carry when the game really matters. You'll wear them down. That wasn't the case. Um, Syracuse scored to make it 24 to 17. Notre Dame got the ball back right at the start of the fourth quarter. And we proceeded to go three and out on two pass plays. Not really sure why we're running it that much. And then when we really need to go score, we change up what we're doing. Maris Leofau comes right back with an interception. Notre Dame takes over. And we had a scoring drive that was successful, but I just want to walk through the plays on that drive. Four-yard run, five-yard run, four-yard run, two-yard run, two-yard run, 11-yard pass to Mayer, a pass interference penalty, and an 11-yard run by Audrey Gastamay. So on that decisive drive in the fourth quarter, um, we averaged about four, four and a half yards per carry, exactly what we did the rest of the game. It's not like in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, Syracuse was wore down and started getting gashed. Like it was a four-yard run, a five-yard run, a four-yard run, a two-yard run, a two-yard run. That's not getting gashed. That was Notre Dame staying on schedule. 
Um, that was Notre Dame needing a third and six conversion to Mike Mayer to keep a drive alive and a pass interference to move us down into the red zone. But our run game didn't bully Syracuse beyond the fact that it very consistently stayed on schedule, four yards, five yards, three yards, six yards, like very consistently stayed on schedule to the tune of 56 rushes for 250 yards. But we just need the level set that that isn't um, exactly as dominant as you'd maybe expect. Um, good, very, very good. Not elite. And especially going into a game against Clemson, I think we all need the level set that ain't going to cut it. Like Clemson's run defense will be better than Syracuse. And if that four yards per rush goes to three yards per rush or two and a half yards per rush, it's going to be a much different story. The other thing in there, and we've talked about this before um, or earlier in the season, especially is runs up the middle versus runs to the outside. This was not a game where we just pounded the ball up the middle. In fact, runs between the guards, excluding the tight end sneaks. Um, there were 11 rushes for only 2.4 yards. So when we were running Estime and Diggs up the middle, they weren't getting a lot of room between the guards, even if you include rushes between the tackles. So, you know, basically a run between the guard and the tackles. Um, if you include those as up the middle runs, those that only brought the average up to 3.8 yards. Um, so, you know, this wasn't power football moving them for big gashes up the middle. In fact, we love runs to the outside. Um, we've talked about this all the time on this show. Um, we think stretching defenses horizontally as well as vertically, forcing defensive ends to keep contained, making linebackers chase people down and make open field tackles, that element of misdirection and, and stretching a defense can be really effective. We saw that in this game. Um, runs outside the tackle went for 6.3 yards. So they were much, much more effective than trying to run the ball up the middle. And to Reese's credit, we ran outside the guards 37 times and ran it between the guards 11 times. So we had a heavy dose, I, I thought a really, really nice balance um, in mixing up the run game, but really getting SMA and Diggs and Tyree to the edge. And that doesn't mean, you know, pitch plays. That doesn't always mean, you know, like completely stretch plays to the outside, but getting off guard, getting off tackle had a really effective outcome in, in this game. And so to be perfectly clear, this is not a criticism of the run game. They were very impressive in this game. It was a very solid effort. Just need to temper expectations that despite the flashy 250 total rushing yards on a per carry basis, maybe not quite as dominant. And now we need to have our weekly chat about the passing game. Um, it's become clear that Reese and his coaching staff just aren't making a passing game work with, with Drew Pine. If you like high-flying offenses, this game was a really tough watch. Pine completed just 45% of his passes. He threw an interception into quadruple coverage, trying to find Mike Mayer. Miraculously, Mayer almost made the catch, uh, but into quadruple coverage and, and throws an INT. And most importantly, the wide receiver room uh, appears to be just in complete disarray at this point. Um, a really nice day for Deion Colsey. He was targeted three times, caught three balls, by far his best game of the year. Um, you know, he was expected to have a breakout year, and it's really the first time we've talked about him since um, really the Ohio State game. But most importantly, Braden Lindsey only played four offensive snaps in this game. He was healthy. The coaches confirmed he was healthy. He was playing on special teams. But on offense, he was effectively benched this week. 
um, in lieu of some of the younger guys. And, you know, behind Colsey, no one had multiple catches in this game. Um, part of that's on Pine, part of that's on the receivers, but just doesn't seem to be working. And there's two things that we keep talking about, and it seems really obvious to us. I get it. We're not being paid millions of dollars a year like Tom Reese is to figure this stuff out. Although, frankly, at this point, maybe we should be. I, I don't know if it could get much worse. Um, but the first one is play action. It's getting so obvious now that I'm going to spend the entire third segment on play action at the end of this show, so I, I won't spend much time on it. Um, but in this game, Drew Pine attempted five play action passes, and it was just 20% of his dropbacks. Now, he threw an interception on play action. That was his first interception on play action of the entire season. His one touchdown throw, though, was also on play action. And importantly, he, he completed 60% of his throws on play action. That's actually the lowest number he's had this year. On non-play action throws, he completed just 40% of his passes. So once again, a game where Pine looks better on play action, but we only call it about 20% of the time. Um, and then the other is depth of target. The average depth of target was 13 yards in this game. So basically, the average pass that Pine threw the wide receiver was... Um, 13 yards downfield. That is the longest average depth of target for any Notre Dame quarterback since the 2020 Clemson game. So in almost two full seasons, when Ian Book had an absolute career day in the last two seasons since, this was the deepest we've gone downfield. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there thinking, I know two things about Drew Pine. I know that he struggles getting through his progressions. He struggles getting from his secondary to his third to his fourth. And I know that he's inaccurate when the ball goes downfield. I know that if he's thrown it 15, 20, 25 yards downfield, the guy better be wide open or Drew Pine struggles to get him the ball. If we know this about Drew Pine, why are we airing it out? Why are we continually chucking it downfield um, to the tune of, you know, the arguably the biggest kind of quote unquote air raid attack we've attempted in a passing game uh, for the last two seasons? And by the way, we have a blueprint that works. He looked really good against Cal and UNC and BYU. And I get it, those defenses are not Syracuse. I get it, those are not nearly as tough as competition as maybe what we've gone up against in the last couple of weeks. But in those games, the average depth of target was about seven and a half to eight yards. So we've gone from seven and a half yards, quick, short passing throws, or at least that being a heavy staple, a big part of the balance to just airing it out 10 yards downfield or, or, or deeper. Um, I don't get that change in scheme. I don't get how you can stare at Drew Pine and say, I think the solution is more dropbacks where we're going to ask him to dissect the defense, get through his reads, and then make a long throw. It is clear that is right now not in Drew Pine's skill set. Can he develop to get there? Maybe. At, at this point, I think a lot of people are maybe writing that off. But I know that's not in his skill set today. And we are actually leaning more into that uh, weakness of Drew Pines than we are leaning away from it. And it just doesn't feel sustainable, um, certainly going into a game next week against Clemson. Um, so a big thing here on, on offense, I, I think it's easy to go look at the scoreboard, see th 41 points and think, wow, the offense must have had a great day. Remember, the defense got a pick six. The special teams blocked a punt at the two. So... You know, the, the offense was basically handed 14 points right there. They were also given a short field on a shank punt off of what was a, almost another block where, where we had them pinned deep and, and almost got after another punt. 
um, and also um, had an onside kick recovery. So a lot of short fields, um, a lot of points really generated by the defense and special teams. And so that 41 points, um, probably misleading about how good this offense was, but certainly the strength of this offense in the game was was the run game, and, and the pass was really non-existent. Might, might as well stay at home in, in South Bend for the week. Um, closing out the Syracuse wrap, most importantly, the takeaway of this game is probably the best game of the year. Um, North Carolina win continues to look better and better each week. Syracuse, North Carolina, you can flip a coin which one was a better performance. A solid game running the ball, but still just if you said the weakness of this team to really elevate, to be a top 10 team, to be a top 25 team, it's the passing game. And this game did nothing to give us any comfort that we're making improvements there. And on defense, another dominating performance. But again, the Achilles heel of chunk plays followed by not being able to make stops in the red zone continues to hold this group back from being really elite. The defense is really solid, definitely above average, uh, top 25, top 30 unit. What's holding them back from getting to that elite top 10, top 15 level also continue to rear its ugly head in this game and keep things closer than, than maybe they otherwise should have been. I think it's just the, the urgency we have as a program to improve. You know, it's not stay the course. It's, it's fix the course, right, and, and fix the mistakes that, that we're seeing in practice and we're seeing in games. And, and there has to be a sense of urgency from the top down to make sure that um, we're correcting everything uh, that we're seeing on film. All right, next week, Notre Dame's uh, big matchup with the Clemson Tigers coming to town, top 10 in pretty much all the polls, undefeated on the season. And I will actually be in attendance for this game, going with Ann, uh, my father-in-law, a b- bunch of college buddies, so should be a really nice weekend in, in South Bend, getting back for a home game this year. And this Clemson uh, matchup against Notre Dame really turning into a budding rivalry over the last decade. Of course, uh, Clemson has had the better of Notre Dame in the college football playoff in the ACC championship game, Notre Dame's lone appearance in its program history in a conference championship, but also some other really memorable classics. Notre Dame, of course, had the double overtime victory the last time these two teams met in the regular season in 2020 in South Bend, a game in which DJ Uyagalele, uh, DJU for short, I'm, I'm probably not going to get that one right, but DJU came in for an injured Trevor Lawrence, played a great game, Notre Dame wins in double overtime. Also have other classics like Clemson stopping the Deshaun Kaiser two-point conversion attempt in Hurricane Joaquin back in 2015, a year that eventually led to Clemson reaching the national championship. So a great matchup for Notre Dame, um, hopefully a close game. We're, we're underdogs, but by a pretty you know, manageable margin if, if Notre Dame can elevate their game and, and take advantage of some of Clemson's weaknesses. And so looking at this Clemson team, they've got a narrative really similar to Notre Dame, an offense that can't quite put it together in all phases, especially in the past game, and a defense that's been really dominant but susceptible to big plays. That, that should sound familiar. The difference is that Clemson's problems just aren't as bad as Notre Dame's problems. So Clemson ranks 11th in the SP Plus with a top 15 defense and the 25th best offense. So just like Notre Dame, Clemson fans wish both those units were better. This isn't, in the advanced stats, one of those top five programs that Dabo Sweeney's really generated for the better part of a decade. But by comparison, you know they, they might be struggling by their standards at 11th. Notre Dame's all the way down at 32nd, um, 28th in defense, 54th in offense. For those listeners tracking along, 32nd was actually a really big jump for Notre Dame this week. We were 46th a week ago, so 
a combination of some of our opponents like UNC continuing to play well and look better each week, along with just a great game against Syracuse, really helped bump Notre Dame up um, all the way now to number 32 in SP+. And so digging deeper on Clemson's offense, DJ Uye Yangalele, again for short, I'm going to say DJU for the rest of this show, um, he's taken a lot of heat in Clemson Nation, and I think it's a little bit unjustified. The numbers, I think, sur- sh- should surprise you. He's actually their highest rated player according to pro football focus grades, which again, isn't perfect, but he's thrown 17 touchdowns on the year to just four interceptions, a pretty solid completion percentage of 64%. So he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson, but he's a big physical quarterback. In fact, one of the other metrics I really like about DJU, he's only been sacked 10 times on the year despite being under pressure a lot. So he goes down for sack about once per game. Um, and that's getting sacked on just 15% of pressure. So he's a big physical QB. He's hard to bring down. Um, and I think he's really improved a lot as a passer this year, um, th- throwing, again, 17 touchdowns to, to just those four interceptions. However, the big problem for Clemson, I think, more than the quarterback play, is that they just don't have that dominant elite wide receiver like we've come to expect. You know, if you think about the last decade, they've had DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, T. Higgins, Martavis Bryant, Amari Rogers, you know, really first, second, third round draft picks seemingly always on the roster. This year, their leading receiver, Antonio Williams, he's averaging just 45 yards per game and has not shown an ability to truly go change a game. So this is an offense that's struggled in the passing game I personally think it's probably more on their wide receivers and offensive line than it is on DJU. But it's kind of the point where he actually got benched in the Syracuse game in their last game for Cade Klubnick, a five-star recruit coming in, um, who I think a lot of Clemson fans would, would like to see. And so the difference there is Cade Klubnick didn't show as much. He, he basically came in and let a comeback against Syracuse by way of handing the ball off to, to their running game, but definitely quarterback controversy brewing in Clemson. And this is an offense that's predicated on their run game. Will Shipley is an absolute special player at running back for them. He's a five-star recruit that Notre Dame knows well. He actually was down to Notre Dame and Clemson. The crystal balls were expecting him to commit to Notre Dame. And then the pandemic hit. He's from Carolina. He never got a chance to officially visit Notre Dame and so decided to stay close to home and commit to Clemson. It was a big recruiting loss for Notre Dame. And that especially looms large. Now for as productive as Shipley's become here as a sophomore, he's already rushed for 700 yards on the season at a six yards per carry clip. He's got 10 rushing touchdowns. He's a threat in the passing game. And the other part is Shipley is creating a lot from nothing. Clemson's offensive line ranks 88th in the country in line yards per rush. So Clemson's offensive line isn't generating a big push um, for Will Shipley. He's creating a lot out of nothing to the tune of six yards per carry. Really an incredible stat for a college running back. Um, grades out really well across the board. Um, Notre Dame's faced a lot of great passing attacks in UNC, BYU, Ohio State, even Tanner McKee at Stanford. This is almost certainly going to be the best run game that Notre Dame's defense has gone up against this year. It's going to be a big challenge and one we haven't seen a lot of. So there's not a lot of great data points to say, how does Notre Dame look against a top 10, top 20 rush team? Um, don't know. We know Ohio State in the opener kind of wore us down with a rush game in the second half. That's probably the best data point and not the best data point um, if, if you're a Notre Dame fan. And so this will be a big challenge for our defense um, going up against the type of offense that that will be unfamiliar to us, one where, where we won't have a lot of games to kind of rely on 
saying, well, you know, we did well against Jaron Hall, so that should, you know, lead to some confidence against Drake. Maybe we don't have that quite, um, that type of a comparison here in, in this one against Clemson. Moving on to the Tiger defense, a top 15 defense in the country. They have five-star recruits across the board and arguably the best defensive line in the country. Pro Football Focus ranks them sixth in the pass rush. They average three sacks per game. That's just behind Notre Dame at number 23 in the country. And their three highest uh, graded players per Pro Football Focus are K.J. Henry, Tyler Davis, and Miles Murphy, all on the defensive line, all grading out in the 80s, all projected to be early round NFL draft picks. And we haven't even mentioned their anchor and, and captain, Brian Breesey. So um, a dominant front seven, for sure the best front seven, the, the best defensive line that Notre Dame's gone up against all year. Our offensive line has, has really come into their own and is playing really good football. But this is going to be a really tough challenge. And, and as we compare it to the you know Syracuse game, if we go into this game and try to run the ball 50 times, it's not going to go well. Like that is going into the teeth of a Clemson defense that just doesn't let that happen. Um, the weakness of this Clemson defense where, where some teams have had success is the secondary. Their, their secondary can be pretty vulnerable. Um, they had really close wins where they just scraped it out against Florida State and Wake Forest. You know, Both those teams really gave Clemson a run for their money. In the Wake game, Clemson's starting quarterback, uh, Nate Wiggins, was targeted six times. He gave up four catches. All four catches went for touchdowns of 20 yards or more. So, you know, circle Nate Wiggins is someone that um, is beatable. A um, couple other guys in their secondary that I think is beatable. The difference is that that was Sam Hartman for Wake Forest thrown for 337 yards and six touchdowns in that game. Or even I mentioned the Florida State game, Jordan Travis threw for 250, two touchdowns and ran for another score. So to beat Clemson, the recipe has been a really, really solid passing game led by an elite quarterback. Um, that's been the recipe to beat Clemson really the last several years. Um, Ian Book, when, when we beat Clemson, Ian Book had the game of his life. Um, and so to, to go beat Clemson with the state of Notre Dame's passing attack is just a bad matchup for us. Um, we've had other games this year. Syracuse is a great example where the Achilles heel in their defense was their defensive line, and we were able to exploit that. Here, the Achilles heel in the Clemson defense, I don't know if Notre Dame matches up well to exploit the Clemson secondary and, and the Clemson pass defense. Um, you know, this is a lead in to the next segment on play action. I mentioned this Wake Forest game. Sam Hartman threw play action 20 times in that game. That was 57% of his pass attempts. Notre Dame hasn't thrown play action more than seven, um, the entire season. Hartman threw play action on 20 throws and he beat them on that play action. Um, that, that is when, you know, they really took advantage of Clemson, used that deception, used misdirection. It was really primarily through a slow mesh RPO, um, basically take a very, very slowly developing play action play out of a shotgun. That single play just gave Clemson fits and they couldn't figure it out. Not sure that's one we can dial up with Pine, um, but it was a play that, that gave Clemson a lot of trouble. Wake Forest found a lot of success on it. And just kept going to it again to the tune of over half of their throws. They just kept going to play action and Clemson couldn't figure it out. The difference is, I don't know if Pine is, um, you know, going to be as good as Sam Hartman. And I don't think we have a lot of confidence that Tom Reese is going to be able to go and dial up that creative game plan 
Um, but that is the place to go and beat Clemson. First time all year that I think we're going to cover special teams in a, in a game preview, but Clemson ranks as the number one special teams unit in the country per pro football focus. Um, their kicker, BT Potter is the best kicker in the country. He's been lights out for them. So, you know, if this game is close, I think across the board, Notre Dame special teams has been solid three block punts in the last two games. Groupie and Sada have been great in the kick and punt game, but something to be aware of that Clemson has, you know, really solid team in, in those phases of the game as well. Um, so, you know, if it gets close, BT Potter, he can be a difference maker. He can be a real weapon with his leg and, and really change games. Moving into the game prediction, um, the point spread in Las Vegas is three and a half. So Clemson's a three and a half point favorite on Notre Dame on the road. Um, SP plus rating system implies Notre Dame's about a four to five point underdog. So Las Vegas actually likes Notre Dame a little bit more than the advanced metrics do. Um, and ESPN gives Clemson a 65% chance to win this game. Um, I said it earlier. I just think this is a bad matchup for Notre Dame. Um, going up against arguably one of the best run defenses, if not total defenses in the country, a defensive line that's just not going to get moved around. And a team that if you're going to beat them, you need to exploit it in the passing game, something Notre Dame just hasn't been able to do consistently this year. Um, I don't see our offense being able to move the ball. I think our defense balls out. They've been great all year. I think they continue to be great. Um, I think they hold Clemson in check. Um, I'm a little nervous this game could get out of hand if our offense you know, puts our defense in bad positions, has a bunch of three and outs, our defense wears down. That There's a blowout risk here. I, I hate saying it, but, you know, Notre Dame's gotten blown out against some of these top teams before in that very formula, like that very formula of defense hangs in there, defense hangs in there, offense doesn't get going, and eventually our defense breaks down. But I, I think in general, this defense is going up against a Clemson offense that's not Trevor Lawrence. It's not an Alabama-type team. So I think we keep it sort of close, but I've got Clemson winning it 24-10. to 10. Um, Their defense stifling Notre Dame. Again, I hope that's not the outcome. I always hate predicting against Notre Dame. Um, I hope I'm wrong on this one. I hope I'm a you know jinx for the bad guys. I will be there uh, full-throated, screaming as loud as I possibly can, pulling for the Irish. But just staring at the numbers here, I think this is a really tough matchup for Notre Dame. So I've got Clemson uh, walking home with a 24-10 victory out of South Bend. I, I, I have to go back and watch it. You know, we scored how many points today? What was the final? Four, 41 points, you know. And if we can score 41 points doing it the way we just did it, we're going to continue to do that. I'm not looking to have a certain amount of passes or a certain amount of runs. I want to score points. And, and right now, that's what we're doing. This week's third segment is taking a look at play action across other offenses in college football. The data here was a pretty manual poll. There, there wasn't a database where I could just go and look at all 130 teams and how they do on play action versus non-play action. And so I took a deep dive by picking 15 offenses, and I picked them by taking the 15 best offenses in SP+. So according to the advanced metrics, what 15 offenses are the most efficient on a play-in and play-out basis it's arbitrary. I could have picked 25. I could have picked a random 15 of, you know, all sorts of different teams, but I took the best 15 and said, if Notre Dame wants to look like them, if Notre Dame wants to get to an elite offense at some point in time, what are those 15 programs doing? 
And so the quarterbacks that I looked at um, are Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Bo Nix at Oregon, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, Max Dugan at TCU, Stetson Bennett, Quinn Ewers at Texas, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, Cam Rising at Utah, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Drake May, Spencer Sanders, Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, and then, of course, not in that group but included for the purposes of the comparison is Drew Pine at Notre Dame. That's, you know, really just rattling through those names. 15 of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, Drake May, arguably going to be freshman of the year. Stetson Bennett won a national championship. Bryce Young has a Heisman trophy to his name. Uh, CJ Stroud and Hannon Hooker, they are both looking, um, you know, like the, the runaway one, two favorites for the Heisman this year. So really looking at elite quarterback play in this country, um, across college football. No surprise corresponds to the 15 best offenses according to SP plus and, and their efficiency ratings. And so what we see from this is first off, how often do those programs use play action? And those programs use play action on 37% of dropbacks on 37% of pass attempts. They're using play action. Um, Drew Pine has used play action on about 28% of throws. So Reese dialing up play action is below average by a pretty good step. So Notre Dame's about bottom quartile, at least out of this group of 16. And the first conclusion there's that's fine. There's a lot of really good offenses that call play action um, about at a similar rate as Notre Dame. There's, you know, five or six teams lower. There's a few kind of right around the 20s. Um, but that's a pretty big drop from average. And so then it's saying, well, okay, what do the teams that don't call play action, what do those quarterbacks um, look like? And so if you go and look at the seven quarterbacks that are 32% or below, so there's seven of these 15 quarterbacks kind of call play action at a similar rate as Tom Reese does for Drew Pine. And what stands out about those seven quarterbacks is they don't do well on play action. Now, whether that's their scheme or the other players or just the offense or the type of play action they're calling up, don't know. But those seven quarterbacks statistically do not do well on um, play action. In fact, five of the seven have a worse completion percentage on play action than they do on non-play action. So an example, Drake May completes 73% of his non-play action throws and 64% of his play action. That's a big drop-off. That's a 9% drop-off. So it's pretty clear that for some reason, don't know why, but for some reason, Drake May is not good at play action. Or in the very least, he's worse than Drake May is on non-play action. So if I were Drake May's play caller, that makes sense. Stop calling play action for Drake May. He's way better when I don't call it. Um, similarly, Spencer Sanders, who Notre Dame went up against in last year's Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State's quarterback, he completes about 60% of his non-play action throws compared to just 52% on play action. So even Spencer Sanders, who you know doesn't always light up the stats, um, 60% and 52%, those are not good numbers. Those are low completion percentages, kind of like Drew Pine. Um, he's also takes a big drop off on play action. Now, interestingly, even despite the worst completion percentage, all seven of those quarterbacks, including Drew Pine, so make that eight, um, have a higher yards per attempt on play action versus non-play action. So even despite completing fewer throws, even those quarterbacks are getting more yards out of play action than they are out of non-play action. But looking, you know, at completion percentage to kind of try to figure out what's the justification, 
Most of these other quarterbacks that aren't calling play action as frequently as other programs, other offenses are doing it because the quarterback's not good at it or the offense isn't good at it. Um, that's not the case for Drew Pine. So for Drew Pine, he is completing 58% of his throws on non-play action. Not a good stat. He's completing 71% of his throws on play action. Really good stat. So Drew Pine is really the outlier of um, quarterbacks who does a lot better, or sorry, who doesn't have play action called as often, but actually does better on play action. It's like the only one out of these quarterbacks. Then looking at the other eight, the group that uses play action more than Pine and Reese. Um, so six of those eight have a higher completion percentage on play action, and seven of the eight have a higher yards per attempt on, on play action. A really good example is C.J. Stroud. Um, he uses play action on 30% of his throws. Um, so that's about 10% more often than what Reese does. Um, 10 percentage points, r- really about 30% more just on a kind of throw-by-throw basis. Um, his completion percentage jumps from 68% to 76%, and his yards per attempt go from 9 to 13. So when C.J. Stroud uses play action, he actually increases his yards per throw by about 50%. That's a huge jump, and so it's no surprise that you see C.J. Stroud calling a lot of play action, right? He does really well with it, so might as well keep dialing it up. Um, and so when you look at Drew Pine... It's interesting, out of these 16 quarterbacks, he has the largest differential in completion percentage. So again, I mentioned it. Um, he completes about 58% of his passes on non-play action, 71% on play action. So that's a 30%, a 13% jump. That is the largest of any of these quarterbacks. Um, in fact, most are kind of, you know, a single digit jump one way or the other. Drew Pine looks like a phenomenal quarterback on play action. In fact, if you compare him to the others, overall, um, that is the sixth highest completion percentage on play action. He has a higher completion percentage on play action than Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett, Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart, Drake May. Like On play action, Drew Pine looks as good as any elite quarterback in college football. On non-play action... He looks really, really bad. He's completing 58% of his throws on non-play action, which is only better than Quinn Ewers, a freshman at Texas who's dealt with a lot of injuries and hasn't even really played the whole year. So Drew Pine looks like a very average to below average quarterback on non-play action and looks like all of these other really elite quarterbacks on play action, yet we're in the bucket of teams that aren't calling play action nearly as often. Similar story on yards per attempt. Um, Drew Pine's yards per throw on non-play action is 5.7. It jumps to 11.1, so it almost doubles. Um, that five yardage increase is second out of this group to J.J. McCarthy. In fact, J.J. McCarthy and Jim Harbaugh is the one other offense that looks like what we're doing, where J.J. McCarthy goes from completing 73% of his throws to 80%, a big jump up. Seven yards per throw to 13 yards per throw, a big jump in yards per attempt for J.J. McCarthy. And Jim Harbaugh is only dialing up play action on 23% of J.J. McCarthy's throw. And look, if I need to start comparing my offensive coordinator to Jim Harbaugh, who has been under the hot seat forever about not having a creative offense, about being stuck in the Stone Age, about 
just not being able to evolve. I hate to say it, Tom Reese's play calling looks a lot more like Jim Harbaugh's than it does any other um, offensive coach or offensive coordinator. That is not great company to be in. Um, that is probably about as big of a red flag. The biggest way for me to explain this is to compare um, Tom Reese to, to Jim Harbaugh just in terms of not opening up the playbook. And so it's just befuddling. Like the data just says of all of the things we should be doing more of, it is play action. And it's actually something we're leaning away from. And so then you got to say, well, why might that be? So let, let, let's consider some of the counter arguments. Um, the obvious reason is that if you start calling more play action, it will become less effective. The data doesn't suggest that though. Um, the data actually suggests, I looked at, you know, again, these 16 quarterbacks, there's almost no correlation between how often they call play action versus the completion percent or the yards per attempt. But even if it was true, even if you said, um, you know, Drew Pine's play action success would come down if we started calling it more. Why not push the limit? I'm not saying we need to go where like play action is the only thing we call, but can we bump it up a little bit? And instead, we've actually gone the other way. So the last two games, we've only called play action on four or five throws per game. Those are the two lowest in any game this season. So despite play action working, we've moved away from it. Um, again, I'm not suggesting that play action needs to go from 27% of our pass throws to 60%, but it's got to start going towards 35 or 40, or let's try it because frankly, nothing else is working. Um, the other obvious counterpoint that I hear a lot is that, well, you need to establish the run to set up the pass. You need to, you know, establish the run for play action to work. Um, two things to that. One, it's hard to say that the run game wasn't effective against UNLV and Syracuse. In fact, if there was ever a time to say, the run game has been established. It was those two games. And as I just mentioned, those games were when we called the lowest um, number of play action plays on the season. The other element is that there's actually just no data that supports you need to establish the run to set up play action. Um, there's a few really good articles on this. I found one that looked at every single NFL play action pass from 2011 to 2017. So massive data set. And they measured the production on those play action attempts on every single possible running metric. How often they were running the ball before that play action, after the play action, on games leading up to that, you know, play action play, um, yards per rush, um, the frequency of run, the types of run, like you name it, every way you can possibly look at the correlation of how well and how often you're running the ball versus whether or not play action was successful had a zero correlation. There was just no statistical um, significance between establishing the run and whether or not play action works. Why is that? Um, I think it's important to double click on it. In the 1990s, play action, and maybe even more so the 1980s, play action was almost used as a trick play. It was really used as your chance to take a deep shot, really sell out on the run, try to get a safety to jump, try to get a wide receiver going open downfield and take your deep shot. That is not what play action is in the modern game anymore. Um, play action is used to make a blitzer pause. It's used to make a defensive end think twice about staying contained to defend the run versus crashing down in, in a pass rush. 
It's about making the safety or a linebacker just pause for a half second. And so it's not about fooling the defense anymore. It's about gaining a half step or a half second. And my favorite example is always Mike Mayer. Mike Mayer has dominated in play action this year. Um, if you start on an even field with Mike Mayer, he's going to win most of the time. If you give Mike Mayer a half step head start, he will win every single time. And so this isn't about trying to, you know, dupe a defense into completely over committing to the run. It's just about getting them to pause and think twice before going into whatever their pass scheme is on that particular play. And so what that leads me with is we just 100% should be calling more play action than we are. It's a strength of Drew Pines. And it's a question then of how far can you push the limit? Ole Miss sets the bar. They are running play action on 62% of pass attempts. To be clear, this is a run-heavy offense. And that's despite like Lane Kiffin, who's a great, innovative, creative mind. He is running um, an offense that is third in the country in rushing yards per game. They are fir- uh, they are third behind um, Army and Air Force and just ahead of Navy. So Ole Miss is out there saying, we are going to run the ball as much as a triple option offense is. But we're also going to be dynamic in passing it. And so when we pass it, we're calling play action on 62% of the throws. And it's not because Lane Kiffin doesn't have a quarterback. He's got Jackson Dart, a five-star recruit who uh, started for USC, got thrown out with the bathwater when Lincoln Riley comes in, transfers over to Lane Kiffin, and is a very, very talented quarterback, as talented as anyone. And so this isn't to say that a modern, creative, innovative offense can't be run first. Ole Miss is living proof. You can have a very dynamic offense that is run first. And then they turn around and they're just as creative when they do throw the ball to the tune of 62% of pass attempts are play action. The other great example is Tennessee. Handon Hooker right now is either the favorite or co-favorite to win the Heisman. The Tennessee offense is number one in pretty much every single offensive stat. They are on an absolute tear led by Josh Heupel, who came over from Central Florida. They use play action on 56% of pass attempts. So that's a play action rate that is twice as high as Notre Dame's. And what's remarkable, Drew Pine looks like Hendon Hooker on play action pass attempts. Hendon Hooker completes 74% of his play action attempts for 12 yards per throw. Drew Pine completes 71% of his for 11 yards per throw. Drew Pine, in a very, very important statistical category, is compared against Handon Hooker, who might be winning the Heisman. The difference is Josh Heupel's leaning into it, and the majority, more than half of the pass plays for the number one offense in the country, uses play action, uses this misdece- like uses deception, uses misdirection. Tom Reese just isn't, and that's beyond frustrating. The last data point that I'll use is Wake Forest against Clemson. We mentioned Sam Hartman um, threw for six touchdowns, put up 45 points against Clemson, gave them everything they could, lost in overtime. It was maybe the best college football game I've watched all season. In that game, Sam Hartman threw play action on 57% of his pass attempts. So same thing, on more than half of his throws, he was going play action. Um, the results on the non-play action throws, Sam Hartman was terrible, and Sam Hartman's a really good quarterback, but on non-play action, he completed just 46% of his throws for 72 yards. 
On the other half of the throws that were play action, he completed 90% of his throws for 265 yards and torched Clemson. So especially going into this Clemson game, um, the blueprint is there. If you use deception, if you get your pass game going on play action, if you slow down that defensive line just a half step, you've got a fighting chance. But even a much better quarterback, a fifth-year senior, Sam Hartman, with Dave Clawson, a phenomenal head coach and play caller at Wake Forest, even Sam Hartman stunk against Clemson when he wasn't throwing play action. So this isn't like a Drew Pine thing. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are just better at some things and worse at others. I don't know why. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's talent around him. I, I don't know if it's what it is. But I know that there's a lot of quarterbacks that look like Drew Pine. Sam Hartman's one of them. To a much lesser extent, even Hendon Hooker does a lot better on play action than he does on non-play action. But those teams, those coaches scheme for that. They recognize the strengths and weaknesses of their quarterback and then play to those strengths and play away from those weaknesses. Tom Reese has got to adapt. Tom Reese has got to be staring at the same data we're staring at and saying, how do we put Drew Pine in a position to succeed? So far through now eight games this season, we haven't done that. I don't have a lot of confidence that it'll all of a sudden magically change next week. Um, we've harped on it a lot. I'll try to do better next week about not talking about Tom Reese's play calling or taking a more positive spin. Um, I'll probably start moving away a little bit from harping on play action here every single show, but wanted to do a deep dive to really spell out. There's a lot of great modern college football offenses that are calling play action way more than we are. And there's an opportunity. Again, this isn't trying to throw play action on every single play. But the limit is like more than half of the throws can be play action. Right now, we're more like one in four. And especially going into Clemson and a recipe to beat that defense, the blueprints there um, from the Wake Forest game. We'll see if Pine and Reese can figure it out this week. Um, if they don't, could be a long Saturday night in South Bend. With that, that's a wrap for the show. Gyrish beat Tigers.